The Forum at 8 on AM Live. Turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. Seven minutes past eight. This is the Monday's edition of the Forum at Eight. Today, the 11th of April, 2016. Very important issue we're discussing today. And uh, we look at uh, the study on supply of water uh, here in uh, South Africa. And uh, really, it looks like we're going to be in trouble in the next uh, 20 years. South Africa is over-exploiting its uh, freshwater resources. And water could be a large constraint on uh, the implementation of the National Development Plan. That's according to a study by the Water Research Commission and uh, the Institute for Security Studies. It shows that uh, even with uh, all the planned interventions, water uh, withdrawals will exceed supply uh, every year through to 2035. Using the international figures uh, forecasting system, the study forecasts that water withdrawals at municipal, industrial and in agriculture will increase over the next uh, 28. What needs to be done to reconcile future national water withdrawals with a future national supply? That's very, very interesting. It's, uh, you know, the law of uh, demand and supply as well. I'm joined on the line in our studio by Mr. Zachary Donenfeld, who is a researcher at the Institute for Security Studies Africa, ISS. Thank you very much, Mr. Donenfeld. Yeah, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Basic Naidu is the CEO of Water Research Commission. Mr. Naidu, good morning to you. Good morning, Bongi. All right, uh, let me start with you, uh, Mr. Donenfeld. Uh, really, just paint the picture for us. How is the water situation in South Africa? Uh, well, it's certainly a challenge um, at the moment. Uh, as you mentioned in your your introduction, um, withdrawals are currently exceeding supply, and using our forecast, we we foresee that trend to continue and indeed um, exacerbate a little bit into the future. Um, but there are some available interventions that uh, South Africa could use to reconcile uh, demand and supply. So, but but by how much is the supply uh, the the demand um, exceeding supply? Uh, currently, it's about three hundred million cubic meters. Um, that is forecast to grow to about one cubic kilometer uh, in twenty thirty five. But as I mentioned, that is um, that forecast doesn't take into consideration a lot of measures that. Uh, both individuals and the South African government could possibly implement to close the gap. Should we be concerned, Mr. Naidu? Hello, Bongi. Uh, We should always be worried about water. We are in a water-scarce country. Uh, But what the set of studies is telling us in in a very stark way, complementing many studies that we've done over the years, is that if we continue our current water use trends, and if we increase those water use trends in the way that is demanded by some of our, our strategies, we're going to have the 6.1% deficit uh, in 20 years from now. And this, this is an important deficit. What, what it should do for South Africans is it spark a series of warnings. The first of the warnings is that our current lifestyle and the way we use water is not sustainable into the future. The second thing that it should herald is a higher investment in alternative ways in which we do many of the things that we currently do, and perhaps in particular how we make more water available to the system. And the third thing it says is that all of our infrastructure investments that we've been planning for many years need now to be accelerated into implementation 
in order that we don't have this deficit in 20 years from now. Mm. Uh, if I, I don't know, I just need to, to go back a little bit. Haven't we uh, been warned that uh, we are going to have this problem as South Africa, just like it happened with, uh, with the energy, with the power supply, uh, that we needed to move uh, quite fast? And if that warning has been... Uh, has been you know sent out by by whoever is working in this field how fast then do we need to go mr naidu well so many of the big infrastructure plans are already at work uh you know the the large dam schemes like mzimvubu and the situ phase two are already at work and these must continue and they must continue at pace the thing that we need to do uh is one we we do have to radically change our lifestyle so in spite of how well the infrastructure development happens, when you're looking at the South African average water use per day of 235 liters per person per day, and you compare that to the global average, which is 177 liters per person per day, you will realize that we are actually living a little bit beyond our means. So an adjustment closer towards the world average immediately will have the effect of organizing for us to be a much more water-secure nation. So it's not just about the infrastructure build, like with electricity. A very, very big part of this is our own demand management inside the system. So, so we, 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 we can manage this problem? Well, we can manage the problem, uh, but we want to do more than manage the problem, you see. We don't want to sit down in 20 years from now, and that deficit of 6.1% will be a zero deficit. We actually need to move into the space of excess. We need to have an extra 10% inside the system so that our river systems and our natural systems can restore themselves so we can have an, a, an ecological environment that is very healthy. So what this means for us in South Africa is that we have to make fairly radical changes around some of the things that we're currently doing. The first is that we have to become much more efficient around our water use. And we have, through the recent drought and we have, through previous droughts, continuously reminded ourselves as South Africans that we can actually do all we need to do with a lot less. We don't need the inconvenience and the hardship, but what we have been able to do is be seen that we're able to do with a lot less. So we have to make that the norm. The second is that we cannot afford wastage in the system. You know, our, our studies have shown us that we have, in our municipal areas alone, something like 25% of water lost to leaks. So the war on leaks campaign that has been started now needs to be accelerated right across the country in all of our households, in all of our towns, and that automatically uh, is going to win us a huge amount of money back in the form of savings. And the leaks fixing themselves, that 500 uh, million uh, cubic meters of water will be worn back into the system. The second thing that we need to do is that we need to upscale our technologies. Now, one of the amazing things of South Africa, Bongi, is that no matter what kind of water intervention that you're talking about, somewhere in this country we've developed a solution, we've tried it out, and it works. The biggest problem that we have in South Africa is upscaling this to become the norm and the practice right across the system. Now, one of the examples I can give you is something called the Water Administration System for Agriculture. Mm. which we have introduced in a fair number of large government schemes in the country. If we rolled the, the same kind of scheme throughout all of the irrigation in the country, uh, throughout all of the large irrigation schemes, let alone the small ones, 
that's already another 400 million cubic meters of water we will win back every single year. So it's, it's about upscaling the things that we already know. But in addition to that, there are some very new things and very exciting things. One of the new exciting things is new sanitation. So if we switch from our fairly wasteful sewage-borne sanitation protocol of 11 liters per flush, which is dominant throughout the South African system, and work to either poor flush systems or even dry sanitation, that is an extra uh, 30 to 40 percent of water that we can win back in our municipal systems. Mm. And what this will mean is not just water security for the country, which is important enough, it will also mean that South Africa might be able to develop the kind of industrial base around these new technologies where we become one of the principal suppliers to other parts of the world and, in fact, build our economy in quite a different way. So on the one hand, there is the red flag that we're raising with the study to say that if we do what we're doing now in the same way in the future, we're going to be in trouble. Okay. But if we change what we're doing, we could actually become world leaders in this domain. 0891-104-208, that's uh, the number to call right now. 0891-104-208-34701, the SMS line, it will cost you only one rent. What needs to be done to reconcile future national water withdrawals uh, with uh, future national supply? I mean, I, I read here that uh, the Department of uh, Water Affairs calculates that uh, in the coming 10 years, the country will need about 20% more water supply than it does right now. And it's identified 2.7 trillion rand of potential projects to satisfy this demand uh, increase over the next uh, 20 years. Uh, but uh, the, 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 the spending there is unlikely to reach that amount. I mean, uh, they're talking about 117 billion rand uh, of, uh, over the future rolling three-year medium-term expedi- uh, expenditures uh, framework period. So I'm reading an SMS here, um, uh, Mr. Donenfeld, that comes uh, from uh, one of our listeners who was driving on uh, the on Colette Drive, and uh, they, they, she sent this SMS saying that there is water pouring out down Colette Drive towards M M1. We see this every day, but what are other causes of water scarcity uh, in South Africa, including obviously uh, the urging infrastructure? Um, well, I, that, that's a complicated question. Um, as Mr. Naidu mentioned earlier, uh, South Africa is generally a water scarce country, and um, people in South Africa generally consume more than the global average. So I think, um, you know, the the combination of those two factors is definitely a recipe for a challenge. And then when you add the um, the current drought that we're in, um, then you, you, you see people start to notice things like leaks where in the past it may not have been such a red flag because water was available. Mm. 0891-104-207-208, actually, that's uh, the number to call, 0891-104-208. And uh, I would like to, to hear from, uh, you know, um, our, our listeners what they see around them, you know, the usage of water and wastage at times. Uh, we look at uh, municipalities as well and uh, what's available uh, to them financially. Uh, some people are talking of uh, you know, structural defects as well in many of uh, these uh, municipalities. So I'm taking your calls right now, 891 
So, but uh, broadly, uh, uh, Zachary, the, 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 meaning, the meaning of where we are today and where we need to be in the next 10 years, I mean, I'm, I'm saying the, the, the Department of Water Affairs says we will need 20% more water in 10 years than today. So what is the meaning of that? Well, I think, and I can't speak specifically to that figure um, because most of our work has been with the Water Research Commission, um, and I understand they operate more or less independently. Um, but that the 20% growth is mainly planned like um, a current path or business as usual. And as Desigan mentioned, there are a lot of low-hanging fruit in terms of technology, in terms of the way we irrigate our agricultural system in South Africa that could potentially, you know, that, that, that make that 20% figure not out of reach and that we we can implement these water saving technologies and and, and schemes at both a, a nationwide level and at an individual level by using less intensive uh, water and sanitation in our homes um, and buying responsible appliances and things like that. And it may seem like small you know small improvements, but if if done at a collective level with 54 million people, it can make quite a difference. All right, uh, there's an advert uh, uh, that says the next world war will not be fought over ideology or politics, but it will be over water. Uh, that's very, very interesting. So we're not the only ones who are in this uh, problem. But uh, Sebastian in Cape Town, good morning. Yes, good morning to you. Um, I'd like to make two points, if you would please allow sure, me. Sure, go ahead. The firstly is that, in my view, uh, under the circumstances outlined in this program so far, Fracking would be absolute insanity. First of all, uh, each fracking well apparently takes a million gallons of water just for one well. And also there's an immense danger of polluting our underground water sources from fracking and the uh, very poisonous chemicals that they inject into the ground. Um, The second point I'd like to make is that we should perhaps look uh, look to a, a country such as Israel um, where they've actually moved from being a water-scarce country to a water-surplus country, and they've done that by becoming world leaders in desalination technology to the extent that they can actually now export technologies. I think San Diego is using Israeli technology, and they also are, are world leaders in drip irrigation, which is another sort of technology um, that I think is being used here um, but perhaps could be used uh, more and better in this country. But certainly the desalination route, uh, there seems to be the technology now available. And if if Israel can move from a deficit to a surplus with desalination, and that's a country that was under-resourced in natural resources and wealth, Mm. uh, we should certainly be able to, and maybe we should look to that country for accessing their technologies. And and Sebastian, before you go, uh, you, you know, okay, he's gone. Let, let's go to Rafik in Durban. Good morning, Rafik. Uh, good morning. Um, I just want to make one or two points very quickly. Yes. Um, what's the feasibility of, of promoting and encouraging the public to go for the Jojo tanks? They, I see the size roughly about 500 uh, liter. Mm-hmm. That if we can encourage that, then uh, we can, you know, store the rainwater and use that for flushing toilets, for washing dishes, for washing clothes, and that can make a, I'm sure it can make a huge difference in uh, relieving the uh, pressure on the system of uh, collection of water. All right. Thanks, Rafik in Durban. Mohammed in Bloemfontein? Uh, hi. Uh, I'd just like to mention uh, there's two things. One is actually the sources of water. If we increase the sources of water, which uh, like 
the best in admission, um, like the desalination plants in the different uh, regions of South Africa where we can extract uh, salt from the, uh, extract water from the sea and get the increased sources of water, that's one aspect. But I think the other aspect very importantly is uh, uh, locally at home and in our municipalities which we find the ailing municipalities where water leaks are continuously con happening without any recourse, without any type of, uh, you know, system in place trying to fix these problems that we are experiencing. So that, the other thing is we don't have a culture amongst our South Africans. I've seen it in many instances. We don't have a culture of saving water. You see people waste water a lot. And, um, you know, if at home we increase or we try and develop a habit or a culture of saving water with increased so, uh, sources of water and the culture of saving, I think we'd probably look at an uh, equitable solution going forward. Hmm. And uh, I think that would be more sustainable for, for us in the long term. I guess uh, that's what Pesigian uh, was talking about, uh, changing our lifestyle. But thank you very much, Mohammed, for that call. Greg in Cape Town? Uh, good morning. And I've got a comment about environmental impact assessments. And there's a, there are reports on the Internet that the, the Crocodile River does not have enough water to supply Medupi. Now, Medupi, one unit is now online. And there are five other units that are supposed to come online. But they can only work if there's water. Mm. So now the question is, if the Crocodile River does not have enough uh, water for that, why was this even approved? So can someone please speak to that? Thanks. Thank you very much, Greg, in Cape Town. Uh, Basically, Naidu is the CEO Water Research Commission. A very important uh, question that uh, from Greg in Cape Town talking about uh, EIA. Uh, that uh, we go ahead and we embark on these mega structures, but uh, we, we don't look at uh, the supply of water in that area. Uh, but uh, also another issue very important uh, raised earlier on about uh, fracking, uh, that uh, we should perhaps look at uh, fracking. Uh, you know, and, and my question is, what do you go for as government? You know, fracking where you're told that, uh, you know, if you frack, there might be gas here instead and then stabilize fuel and gas supply and create jobs versus uh, preserving water now, today. So how do you deal with those uh, with those issues, uh, Mr. Mr. Naidu? Well, Bongi, you know, that's a really, really important point. And let me let me pull out a, a very important thread from, from all of the callers. And sure. This, this is the issue about... Where in the decision chain do you consider issues of water? And we're coming out of an environment, not, not just us here in South Africa, but globally. We're coming out of an environment where decisions are made either on an economic basis or a political basis or a combination first, and then the water issues follow on afterwards. Now, one of the things that we're working pretty hard at, at doing as a global community of practice, and I think it's starting to take root, is to change that and put it on its head, to say that what we need to be looking at is resource-sensitive design. And water is very important, but so are the issues of land, so are the issues of power and electricity. But these have to be primary considerations right in the front of the decision-making before the rest of it follows. And one of the things that we're pushing very, very strongly is the whole notion of developing water-sensitive cities and towns where your primary thing right up front is to work out what your resource availability is going to be. But the second part of that is to organize for our towns and cities to have a smaller and smaller water footprint outside the town and city. 
Because currently, in our towns and cities, we depend on somewhere else to get the water from. And then we put our, our waste out into the streams and somewhere else has to clean it up. And we, we have worked out in the laboratories that there are feasible ways to get 60-70% of all of the water needs right inside a town or a city through things like water harvesting, to things like grey water use, to things like a recycling system where every drop can actually move seven times through the city for a different use before it actually is, is released out to stream. Now, if we put all of those things into the mix, we're looking at a fairly, fairly secure water future. But then we can't duck the things that are still very big and difficult decisions, like fracking. I mean, fracking, as it has been proved worldwide, can have very negative impacts on your water supply. At the same time, in an energy-scarce country like South Africa, the temptation is very strong to use fracking not only for the purposes of energy, but for the purposes of greener energy, because it has a lower carbon footprint. Mm. And this is where technology has to come into play. Now, we've been working with many players around the world, and, and a lot of the players around the world are actually looking at South Africa around the way we're making this decision, because unlike places like the U.S. or Canada, the decisions were made primarily on an energy basis and not considering any of the other factors. So even those players are now looking at how we can deal with this. And we're seeing that the advances in technology may be able to stem some of this tide. So, for example, in Canada right now, they're experimenting with waterless fracking mm. as an option for fracking. But what this, this does, of course, is it increases the cost factors associated with the people who are fracking. So the bigger discussion we're going to have eventually is about what is the cost of our future water security versus the savings that we're going to have in the short term around cheaper energy sources. And, and th- these are really big decisions to make. 0891 Naidu, that's the number to call if you are at home. Basically, Naidu is CEO Water Research Commission, and Mr. Zachary Donenfeld is a researcher at the Institute for Security Studies. We'll continue with this discussion shortly. What needs to be done to reconcile future national water withdrawals with the future national supply? We hear that in the next 10 years, we'll be needing 20% more water supply than we need today. I'll be reading your SMSs and tweets as well. Very interesting. This coming from Cynthia Nkosi in Bumalanga, uh, I think, and we've been uh, dealing with this particular story for very many years, uh, as far as I, far back as I can't remember really even. And then uh, we're talking about uh, the issue of um, acid mine. Uh, that's something that I want us to talk about. And uh, water quality generally, uh, if uh, there's a problem there in uh, South Africa. We go back to the lines right now, 0891-104-208. And uh, I've got two guests here. Mr. Zachary Donenfeld is a researcher at the Institute for Security Studies, Africa, ISS. And uh, Bessie Naidu is a CEO, Water Research Commission. Uh, Mr. Donenfeld, let me bring you uh, in here. Uh, a lot of questions coming from, and suggestions, I guess, coming from uh, our listeners. And I want you to juxtapose this with your research and perhaps uh, help us answer these uh, questions. South Africans must use, use water wisely because there is no substitute for water. That's a Sajini in Ndenzenje. Uh, uh, and then this one says, uh, does this current usage include the results of no or lack of maintaining the system, broken and jammed valves at pumps, uh, houses uh, caused by ESCOM power cuts, etc.? Listen to this one. No clean water in Whitbank due to contamination by mines. 
Residents see no probability of interventions for some years now. 80% of residents buy water for consumption to uh, prevent uh, prevalence of uh, typhoid, for instance. Mm-hmm. That's a Cynthia and uh, Gosi in uh, Bumalanga. Uh, hi, Bonga, please ask if the water supply from uh, Dam we receive from Lesotho is also under threat of being in short supply in the near future. That's uh, our listener there, uh, David Mtunz in Mabato. And uh, DWA, that's the Department of Water Affairs, as custodian needs to ensure rehabilitation of underground pipes in most areas. The water loss is due to this problem. MJ in Pretoria. All right, uh, Mr. Dolenfeld? Yeah, um so I think all of those uh, concerns and comments point to um, a common theme that South Africa would benefit from taking a really a, a comprehensive approach to water security, and that means implementing drip irrigation, as we've heard before. Um, it might involve desalination. Um, Something that we haven't really touched on thus far is, um, or Desigan did slightly, but the the amount of treated wastewater that's reused in South Africa is is something that we identified in our research as something that has the potential to increase supply um, pretty substantially. Uh, also, the use of groundwater, particularly for irrigation, and particularly if combined with the smart drip irrigation systems, um, really has the potential to to increase uh, available yield. Something that our research looked at was that most of the planned interventions thus far are 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 targeted at surface water, so they're mainly dams, and all of those measures should be implemented. But but one of the main takeaways from our research is that just building more dams and increasing surface water is not going to be sufficient to address this problem. So I think that points to a lot of things that Desigan mentioned earlier, um, mm. that we really need to take an integrated approach. And that, you know, that certainly includes uh, better demand management strategies and sort of raising awareness about what individuals can do to uh, decrease their water usage and, and therefore increase supply on the national level. Something that, uh, unfortunately, our, our research isn't able to get at water quality, although, I mean, we're certainly aware that acid mine drainage is, is a serious problem um, in South Africa, but unfortunately, uh, we weren't able to dig down to that level of granularity. We just did a, a national supply versus demand forecast. Yeah, and I wanted to know uh, about that, whether really what we're talking about here in the main is uh, clean uh, drinking water or we're talking water generally. Uh, but also, w- when you do your research there, uh, and, and your, your researchers are hard at work. What did they look at in, in terms of, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, in, in the country? Where do you find problems? Where do you find challenges? Where do you find that if we don't act now, we will be in in trouble soon? Sure. Um, well, as I said, we I, we tried to. Well, we we did look at national water supply. So. Th- that does obscure the fact that some areas of South Africa may be in 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 worse spots and experiencing bigger challenges than, um, say, in Pretoria or Johannesburg that have relatively good infrastructure and 
where there is political will to ensure that people have access to safe and reliable water supplies. Um, so that that's something that um, perhaps we should look into more. And, uh, you know, that that is a real concern that underserved areas are more hardly affected by, by this problem than big cities and, um, you know, relatively... Uh, you know, relatively more um, enfranchised populations. 20 minutes to nine. Let's go to Richard in Howick before we come to you, Mr. Naidu. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, Bongri. Hi. Um, hi. I'm the coordinator of the Notal Conservation Agricultural Club of KwaZulu-Natal. Now, my findings and a lot of our members' findings is that uh, conservation agriculture, where we leave a mulch on top of the f- soil and use cover crops, increases the filtration of rainwater. And we've adopted more, more grain for every drop of rain. Now, Bungi, we're having an information day on the 21st of April in Hilton in KZN. Mm. We, will, we will explain the benefits of uh, conservation agriculture. Conservation agriculture reduces the surface temperature of the soil. It increases the infiltration of water, and we are using less water uh, on irrigation in a lot of areas, and we are also sequestrating carbon. And there's reports out of the USA that no-till organic farming will sequestrate more carbon than what we really need. Okay. And so um, we've, if anybody wants to contact me, I can possibly uh, give you my n- number and, uh, or um, I can leave it with your, your, okay. the lady at the L- office. Leave, leave it with, uh, with my producer here and okay. then we'll, we'll see and get in touch with you. Uh, it sounds like an interesting plan, that. Bumelelo in Cape Town, good morning. Hello, I'm good, thank you very much. Thanks for holding on. In technology, infrastructure, and lifestyle, there's something called lock-in. Um, people get locked in in certain technologies, in certain infrastructure. I just want to find out if your guests have got a view, because we're seeing a lot of development at the moment. They've got a view on, on whether there is a change of mindset and paradigms as far as you know, moving people towards to uh, towards technologies that are um, that that are better for uh, water management and, and those kind of things. Because if we if we, if we don't look at this thing, somebody is benefiting from a technology. So it's, it's in the best interest of the person who produces that technology to make sure that that technology is used. So if you bring in new technologies, those people who are already incumbents and, and are in the market, you know, uh, they've got absolutely no motivation in, to to drive and encourage change. Okay. So if your guests can just give me a view. All right. Uh, uh, we will ask that question really to m- moving people towards uh, new technology for water management. Uh, John, in the northwest, uh, there have been problems there and uh, even allegations of uh, some people suffocating water supply really uh, to benefit financially and, and, and bringing those uh, water tankers and stuff. Uh, what do you see there? Good morning. Good morning. Go ahead, John. Yes. Look, man, my worry is the issue of the education, you know, mm-hmm. towards the youth. Because 
I don't see much of the Department of Education doing in order to conscientize the youth and the coming generation about the usage and also how to conserve water. Because this thing needs to start from the school up until to, to the work level. So I think the best way is the integration of the approach. The Department of Water and Sanitation, the local government, and also the Department of Education to come on board to address this issue of water scarcity and how to conserve uh, uh, water. Thank you. John, thank you very much. Uh, let's come back to you, Mr. Naidu, talking about uh, education there, but also technology, new technology really for better water management. Just some of the issues that are coming through from uh, our listeners, including this one. Uh, is it uh, possible to use salt water, that's seawater, on some of uh, these, these mega structures, like using water for cooling purposes? Mr. Naidu? Well, sir, your listeners have all of the answers. Uh, and and they're the right answers. It's about organizing for the right kind of of scale-up. Let me me just focus on on just one or two things. Firstly, the issue about using salt water for cooling as opposed to drinking quality water. The broader issue around this is that we insist on using the highest quality of water for every single purpose that we use. And the reality is in a household or an industry, less than 20% of the water that you actually need needs to be of that quality. That most of the other purposes that you use the water for inside your system need a different grade. So a different grading of the technology inside your system is going to be very useful. And in fact, one of the revolutions the world is talking about now is something called the purple pipe revolution. And that's a, a separate piping system in a building that deals with the recycled water so that you don't have the health issues associated with it. The second issue I want to raise, Bongi, is the issue Pomalelo raised, and and we made this one of the key focus points in our presentation to Parliament last week, is dealing with the issue of lock-in. So one of the big constraints around moving to new sanitation, which is both more hygienic as well as more water efficient, is because we locked into a particular infrastructure in most of our towns and cities around using large volumes of water to move sewage, through very large pipes kilometers away to a wastewater system. So a switch from that technology paradigm to a new technology paradigm is going to be what we need inside the next 20 years. And on this score, we we have a lot of support from the Minister of Water and Sanitation around what she calls these game changers inside the system. And one of the things that is going to deliver on this thing is something we're working with the Department of Science and Technology called the Research Development and Innovation Roadmap around how to make the switch. But I think eventually it distills into what is what John has been saying, is the education component needs to become much more stark and much more sophisticated. So if we look at those countries in the world that have made very big switches in, in their water behaviors, uh, places like Singapore, for example, or places like the, the Emirates, as another example, of, of places that have become shining examples in the world of moving from very low water security to extremely high water security. The education component, both in schools, in the formal education programs, as well as the public, has been one of the remarkable success factors. And this is something where we have to pump up to varying and varying degrees Mm. over time. But but one thing I do want to pick up on on something you mentioned earlier, and the number of 2.7 trillion rands. Yes. 
And you made it sound like a large number, Bongi. And uh, indeed, it's not a small one. <laughs> but but, but the, thing not, we have yes. to cal- the thing we have to calculate there is what is the price of our water security? There, there, is, there is nothing that we do in this country or anywhere in the world that isn't very highly water dependent. You know, one of the reasons why we have done the study with Zachary and, and his colleagues in the Institute for Security Studies is to highlight that water is a fundamental security issue. Uh, and that fundamental security issue needs investment in the short term to make the game change. And then eventually we'll have the cost benefit in the long term. And, and let me give you one small example that illustrates this. The non-revenue water in this country in the towns and cities is 36.8%. It's a high number. And on that high number, we actually lose in drinking quality water 7.2 billion rands worth of drinking quality water mm. every single day. Mm. This, this war on leaks that is currently being run out, and at its, at its peak, it's going to cost us 2.2 billion rands. That 2.2 billion rands is going to save us 7.2 billion rands as we move forward. This is the kind of equation that we can find in most of the interventions that we want to do around wow. water. All right. I, I need to uh, read here because uh, Peter Atad Nantalto, he is a, a market uh, economist. He says uh, the water crisis is not uh, so much about a system that is at every moment in crisis or deficit, but about a system that has structural defects that are exposed by weather and uh, unlucky events such as uh, technical problems. But also uh, somebody else is talking about serious lack of uh, technical skills. That's uh, the problem behind our water shortage uh, here in South Africa and population growth uh, it talks to better planning really by town planners because people are moving to the cities right now and uh, they, they, they need water there. But just to read one or two SMSs coming through, this one uh, coming from uh, Steve in Durban who talks about uh, desalination. Uh, why have we not gone there already? And then uh, Tembangiti from Durban says that we need to identify and destroy all alien plants. They took take too much uh, water and also uh, purify water from uh, the ocean. There again, uh, talking about uh, salt water there. Uh, another one uh, coming from uh, uh, Yaj in Cape Town, fracking does not provide green clean energy. Uh, could building more dams as a matter of urgency not help? It's unsigned this. And uh, this one uh, also, RSA needs long-term uh, solutions to the water crisis. Therefore, we need to invest more on dams, including ethan dams, uh, boreholes, and uh, efficient ir- uh, irrigation there. All right, let me come back to you uh, now, Zachary. Uh, the, the issue of uh, the, the dam, in fact, I will come to you just shortly, but let me take Kaya, who is uh, in uh, Hofmeyer uh, first. Uh, Kaya, good morning. Morning, Bongi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I know, I think it's a very great show that I have today. I'm calling from a place in the Eastern Cape where there is virtually no water. No, mm. no water. Our people are suffering in terms of water. But the government has made an intervention with a bulk project. But now the problem is the water management. There's water coming from Kharib Dam right through Hofmeyer, going straight to PE. And the people in Hofmeyer are not benefiting out of that water. What will you guys say to that? That's very what interesting. What's the allocation issue for, the, for that matter? Thank you very much. Thanks, uh, Kaya Inhoff. Mayor Mike in Durban? Oh, good morning to you. Sure. Uh, Mike from Durban, Durban, Durban. I'm an environmentalist. Someone asked a question of Mr. Naidu. Uh, do they use seawater for cooling? Well, the old Kongela power station, 
uh, known as Old Smokey, used to use water from the bay for cooling. Mm. Right. <laughs> so that answers that question. Now I'll get back to Durban Beachfront area. Uh, there are taps and showers pouring drinking water along all the Itikwini beaches. Yes, yes. Uh, some of the taps are being stolen and the water just pours out the pipes. Sure. I discovered a 40 millimeter pipe with a, a, a quick action valve on it in the dune bushes on yesterday in front of Addington Hospital and lots of water coming out. The, the, the engineering services use drinking water to flush out blocked sewage pipes, uh, stormwater drains, wash pavements down with drinking water. Now they, <laughs> they, they want to put water restrictions onto us. Okay. Then, yeah. uh, Mike and Durban, so you're saying that uh, seawater can actually be used for cooling. There you have it. Peramchand uh, in Umslanga. Thank you very much for taking my call. Uh, this comes from a simple layman. Yes. You know, we have devised now fuel cells. We can have giant uh, desalination plants using fuel cells where the power comes from, or from the sun. So there's no question of pollution. There's no question of high finance. We can desalinate the water and pump it into our dams, pump it into our valleys, and we'll have plenty of water. The second solution is, can we not join all our rivers, instead of them flowing into the sea, flow back into the country, fill them our, our dams, fill our valleys, and we can have normal, natural rain forever and ever and ever. That will solve our problem than ringing the bells of doom to say that 20 years time we'll have no water. Let's do it now. Peramchand Inumslanga, thank you very much. You sound very much like this SMS that I got earlier on. Zachary, I would like for you to, to respond to that desalination. And also, of course, we must be responsible for our use. But you're just trying to scare us of the future. Who says we won't have any rain in the next 10 years? Are you God? That's an unsigned SMS. That So those two really... Uh, are, we, are we becoming uh, prophets of doom or are we really trying to scare people off or this is the reality that uh, if nothing is done now, we'll have problems in 10, 20 years? No, I think that's exactly right. Um, you know, we're not trying to, to say that. In fact, I mean, one of the main takeaways from the paper is that this problem is not unsolvable. And as Desigan and I have been have been talking about throughout this interview, um it's not as if we need to invent new technologies, and, and a lot of your callers are aware of um, things that can be implemented on both the local, regional, and national level to, to help address this problem. But our point is that if, if these measures aren't taken and, and if we don't do our job of raising awareness among people, that they won't take action for themselves, for their communities, and they won't put pressure on the government to implement large-scale solutions. And, you know, I, I've said this before, but um, a, lot of the, a lot of the interventions that the South African government is currently planning are large-scale surface water, um, you know, dams, essentially. And, and that's, that's good. All of that stuff should be done. But the, 
what we're saying in our paper is that that's not going to be enough. And if we work with you know people like Desigan who who are really aware, and, and some of your callers seem to be really aware of things that we can we can implement like I said, at the local, regional, and national level, then we can address this problem. It doesn't have to be um, a doomsday scenario. We can move to um, water security and, and potentially use that as an advantage and export that technology and create jobs and you know combine that with green energy, and that opens up a world of possibilities. And that the goal of this paper is not to say that this problem is not solvable. It's to say that we need to take action. It's uh, very interesting. And uh, I'm just uh, looking at uh, two uh, major issues here. Population growth is one of the causes, but uh, food production uh, is, a, is a serious problem then if we don't have enough water because uh, the, the region, uh, not just South Africa, the whole of SADC already experiencing considerable problems in relation to food security. So none of the countries in SADC uh, were able, for instance, uh, to weather the droughts of uh, the early 1990s. So there will be a problem right now if we don't have the water. But also uh, markets generally, I mean, uh, markets should care because uh, of the inflation risks and monetary policy implications, as well as uh, the impact of water restrictions on uh, output. All right, so your final word, uh, Mr. Naidu? Well, Bonnie, I think that, like all of the callers have been saying, is that our water fate is really in our hands. It is what we do today that's going to determine what kind of conversation we have in 20 years from now. And there are big things and there are small things. The big things around building the big infrastructure, organizing for desalination, this has come up many times. We're now experimenting with those fuel cells and with solar power as, as to remove the constraint of energy around desal. And this will probably come online within the next five years, so we can look forward to that. But it's also about the small things. It is also about what we do in our households. It is about what we do in our places of work every single day because every drop will make a difference going into the future. And like other countries have shown us, places like Singapore, it doesn't take a water department or a water institution to make the country water secure. It takes the whole country Mm. and the efforts of every single citizen. And this is exactly what South Africa must do. But uh, going, uh, you know, above the line and, and taking up adverts on radio and, and, and saying let's save water when we have a crisis, will that work as opposed to even looking at the curriculum and maybe go back to the small things that we used to do, like uh, have, a, have a booklet for, for, for the youngsters, for instance, to learn about water preservation. Will, will those things work? You, you spoke about education, Mr. Naidu, as we wrap. Well, Bonnie, we, we are currently doing all of those things and the uptake is actually really good. And we're also adding some new tools into the toolbox. So one of the things we're experimenting with on the back of the studies that we did, which shows that at at this moment in time, out of the people surveyed in our municipalities, less than 20% of them know how much water they use in their households every month, and less than 20% know how much they pay for water every month. This is a very, very worrying thing. All right. So in it, in addition to the education, we're using other tools to help people. For now, now we're experimenting with telling them what their neighbors are using in hope that they, if they're not curious about their own use, they might be curious about their neighbor's use and move the behavior. I got you. But we have to make all those efforts, sir. That's again, NIDU CEO, Water Research Commission. Uh, Mr. Zachary uh, Dunfeld, your final word? 
Um, I mean, I think Desigan pretty much summed it up. Uh, you know, the the methods and the tools to to address this challenge are all there. We you know we know what to do, and um, you know we hope that by raising awareness and increasing the level of education around water usage and water scarcity, that that will create a culture of um, preservation and of st- systemic longevity and. Uh, you know, I mean, desal and wastewater treatment and, and groundwater for irrigation, these are all, you know, sort of large-scale picture uh, programs that we can implement on a national level. But just as important as that is individual responsibility and knowing how much water you use, knowing how to save water, and, and incorporating those decisions into your everyday life. We thank you very much, Mr. Zachary Donenfeld. is a researcher at the Institute for Security Studies. And uh, we also had the designated NIDU CEO Water Research Commission. To you at home, thank you very much for making it happen by phoning 0891-104-208. The Forum at 8 shall return tomorrow. So is the AM Live here on uh, SFM 104-107. It's time for the news at 9.